Welcome to Wine with HR. I'm Jules. Hey there, I'm Trish. Lawyers turned HR professionals. Through our company, Monarch Endeavors, we guide employers through their oh shit moments with their employees. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most common (laughs) and commonly frustrating HR problems while enjoying our favorite adult beverage, wine. So sit back, grab a glass if you choose, and join us as we think about and drink about all things HR. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Wine with HR. Today, we have a little bit something different. We're going to be answering your burning questions about HR. Uh, So some of you posted questions on our LinkedIn profile and on Facebook uh, in response to our questions. Other ones we've had in some of our classes and other ones we found on the good old Google. But we figure that a lot of these are questions a lot of you have. So this episode is not just for HR professionals or managers. It's actually mostly directed at employees about what HR and managers can and cannot do. So Uh, With that, we are going to, of course, first do our wine selection. So I'm going to go over to Trish to see what she's drinking tonight. Well, you know, Jules, I thought this would be an easy one. Um, (laughs) So I was thinking trying to do something different for our listeners out there. And I wanted to review a non-alcoholic wine for those people that don't drink or don't drink wine typically, um, but they wanted to try something different. So I found this non-alcoholic rosé and it says de-alcoholized. I think that's the same as non-alcoholic. Like, I'm not exactly sure what that exactly entails, but it's from a company called, I believe it's pronounced Giesen. They're out of New Zealand and it is a rosé. I'm not really sure how a de-alcoholized wine is supposed to taste. Um, (laughs) But for me, as a person who likes wine, um, it didn't really serve me very well. So I have a glass of vodka (laughs) And, and, and mix and mix. I should say that, good Lord, so it doesn't sound terrible. But I wanted to be able to participate with Julie, so that sounds terrible. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that's what I did today. I I tried to do something fun and different for everyone, but it just did not work out. It happens. It was nice and nice of you to try. <laughs> I still have it here, though, and I'm still going to sip on it to see if I get some different things as we go through. So what initially hit you? Because I saw your face when you had your first sip. So is it that it just, does it just taste like grape juice? No, um, it's hitting me at the the back under, um, under my tongue and towards the back. Okay. Again, I don't want to throw a company ever under the bus, but um, for me, it, it's reminiscent of more like a vinegar, Uh, which if you've ever had bad wine, you know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. like a wine that has gone bad rather than one that I don't prefer. Um, So that's kind of what caught me. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, enough about my disaster. What are you doing today? (laughs) Well, so since we are heading into fall, I'm getting back into my red. So I have an Italian red. Shocker. Shocker I know. Shocker Italian. It's called Il Faggio. And it's a Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, uh, which ah. we, we know is one of my favorite just because I love to say Montepulciano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this one was actually recommended by 
a, uh, I'm not sure he was a sommelier, but um, one of the wine experts in the, is it the giant eagle out on the way to Putin Bay? Is it a giant eagle? I think so. Yeah. 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 So uh, <laughs> that's the one that I was at. And nice. he recommended this uh, Italian wine. It's a 2020. And it says the beech tree and the Montepulciano grape, longtime neighbors on the Adriatic coast in Abruzzo, both equally synonymous with the region. The grape is deep colored and produces a robust wine. Our version is modern in style with fresh and spicy fruit on the, <laughs> on the nose and a rounded, full-bodied character on the palate. An everyday, enjoyable wine for enjoyable people. Wow. So I sort of feel like it was made for me. I actually haven't had a sip yet, but... You are an enjoyable person. Oh, thanks. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> mm. So at first sip, I would agree that there are definitely little spicy notes. And it is definitely a full-bodied wine, but smooth. Really? Very smooth. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So I think I'm going to like this one. Yay. <laughs> Sorry. That was a little bit of an evil cackle, but, you know, whatever. It's all good. <laughs> We're practicing for Halloween. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So as I mentioned, this episode is all answering questions. So we don't have our, our W-H-I-N of the week is really the questions and the things that people don't quite understand about, you know, HR and, and things that companies do. So we're just going to kind of go through the questions and Trisha and I are going to share what we think about them and, and answer. And uh, it should be very informative. And of course, we'll have some laughs in there as we always do. So Trisha, you want to start with the first question? Absolutely. All right. So this question has to do with interviewing and the interview process. They asked, do we have any applying or interview tips? And is a thank you letter needed anymore? And I'm going to start with the second part. <laughs> okay. I will tell you all that I still love a handwritten thank you note. Amen. Right? Even more so than the uh, email thank you. An email thank you is fabulous, but a handwritten thank you note, I have to be honest, I kept some of those even well after I left my last position just because they meant so much that someone took the time. So if you really, really want to stand out, handwritten thank you note, way to go. Would you still say that thank you notes in general, though, are expected? I would say they are. Yeah. I'd, and if not expected, greatly appreciated. I think that most people expect to see some sort of uh, response or thank you from you. I wouldn't say everyone, but I think it does give you still a leg up. For sure. And the only thing I would add to this, to the extent that you discuss something with the interviewer, where maybe, you know, you connected with that person or you guys had a laugh over it. It doesn't have to be related to the job, but put that in the note. Like, I really enjoyed hearing about how you love to travel or discussing, you know, football with you or whatever it is. But that, anytime you can yeah. make that personal connection yeah. and then remind them of that. Yeah. Nice. That's a great, great tip. And then as far as the interview process itself goes or tips of um, relating to that, my biggest one is 
If you feel like this is a company where they're going to do those behavioral interview questions, the situation, task, action, result, the ones that drive me crazy, (laughs) don't plan them ahead of time. Don't plan out your answer. Be honest, be straightforward. I know what everybody tells you is that, oh, you want to make sure you do it ahead of time and 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 switch your answer so that it, it is related to something that they might be looking for, but that doesn't help you any. You know, tell them an honest situation, but then take it a step further and tell them, well, you know, that's how I handled it then, but this is how I would handle it now if you really want to set them apart. And that's the question I tell interviewers to ask all the time. Like, ask them how they would handle it now. If you were their boss or if they were their boss, how would they say they could improve or how is it that they excelled? So thinking like that ahead of time in case an interviewer does ask you that question helps, but also you can get the jump on it so they know who you are as a person now because you may not handle it the same way as you did in the past. And be patient. Don't ghost. (laughs) I would say that's the big one. Um, I understand. I just read an article the other day. uh, Four months is what they say is the average lead time for hiring someone these days, um, which is mind boggling to me. But it is what it is. It is where we are. And so I would say be patient, continue to respond, even send them questions. If you have questions um, about the job itself or something that you've learned in the meantime, go ahead and reach out. They will respond and I think they'll appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump around a little bit because that relates to another question. So you sort of just answered this, but in case you want to expand, there was a question about... Oh, yeah. Is it weird to ask an interviewer a question about the role after the interview via email? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm not saying come up with one to purposefully reach out to them. But if you have a question, absolutely reach out to them, ask them, um, relate it, let them know if you want to, why you're asking, um, because they think that people, it's one of the ways that you can help the interviewer get to know you, what your thought process is. And it really does show that, hey, they're still thinking about this and it's very important to them. So I love it. I will always take the time to answer emails like that. Yeah, and I think it's pretty typical that you would have questions afterwards because in the interview, sure. your nervous is all get out. <laughs> yes. And Truth. so, you know, you don't know you, when they ask you, do you have any questions for us? You're like, uh, you know, like <laughs> your, your, your brain leaves your body and you forget everything. Even if you have so. prepared, right? <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yes. So I think it's totally natural. And it, uh, as Trisha was saying, it gives you a, Nice way to stay engaged without just saying, hey, any update? You know, you can say, hey, I had a question about, you know, this. The more I thought about it, it's kind of a nice way to keep in touch without just feeling like you're nagging somebody. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And for those of you out there um, that are 
in the HR world, there's a lot of people or a lot of companies right now that are moving more towards AI engagement. If you remember in our previous episodes, we were talking about AI and how it could be beneficial to HR. And one of the ways is through doing engagement, sending out like little texts and and getting responses. And so, of course, why wouldn't we want our applicants to be doing the same thing? Um, It's just one more way, again, to get to know them a little bit. So um, don't forget to reach out as well if you think of something. Okay, our next question. When leaving a company and trying to not burn a bridge, should you ever be honest in exit interviews? I think that's a great question. (laughs) Certainly one that people wonder about smartly. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I would say... From the HR standpoint, yes, we love it if you will be even brutally honest. HR is only going to share that information with certain people. Usually it's the leaders, like the the C-suite level in the company. Um, You know, unless you say that something happened while you were there that you hadn't previously disclosed that the company needs to investigate. But typically... If it is like problems with management or, you know, one of the things we hear a lot is I just didn't know where my place was or I didn't know what uh, advancement potential there was or it just seemed like people forgot about me, you know, like so that career development piece, if it's something where the company could improve, they will be so grateful that you called it to their attention because, you know, most of the time when you're employed at a company, Nobody's talking about that stuff because everybody wants to keep their job. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so sometimes being in an exit interview, you're a little bit freer to say the things you wouldn't otherwise say. And HR will be grateful to have that information because sometimes they don't know that something's going on. Uh, other times they might suspect, but they haven't had anything to act on. So uh, it can be those exit interviews can be crucial uh, to helping the company improve and to make things better for the people who are still there and the people who are going to come on board. So I wouldn't think of it as a way of burning a bridge. I would actually think of it as a way of maintaining the bridge to that employer because you're as long as you're doing it with the intention of helping them identify problems and move forward and figure out how to resolve them. Yeah, I would say that for me is the absolute key. It's that respectful response, right? You can be brutally honest and not be a jerk. Right. (laughs) And that is something I would remind everybody. Yes, absolutely. There's a reason we conduct exit interviews. We want to know about your experience. We want to know what we did right, what we did wrong, where we can improve, what we're doing well even. So absolutely be honest. But again, if you don't want to burn the bridge, you're going to be respectful. I love the way you said that, Julie. Like it's it's about building bridges versus burning them. And I think that's that's an awesome way to look at it. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Sue, which one should we do next? Dealer's choice. (laughs) Oh, my. All right. Let's go to a heavier one. What about, since we're talking about termination or quitting or hiring, let's kind of keep on that track. When an employee is terminated and ineligible for rehire, Should I continue to let them communicate with me or not? 
And what is the right way to communicate with them if I need to? I think this is an incredibly interesting question. And I know I have my views, so I'm really excited to talk to Julie and see what her thoughts are. We have not talked about this uh, before this taping, so I'm very, very excited. Let's start with the what's the right way to communicate with them if I need to, respectfully. I got to go back there. Be respectful, be open, be honest, and straightforward, short, and to the point right? We don't need to give a bunch of extra information. I had someone in one of my classes recently, and he was talking to me about people who communicate with you. And you can tell that when they're communicating, their eye is on litigation, Mm -hmm. right? And so this is where we start to get nervous. What can we say? What shouldn't we say? And I think the, the basic thought process is think about Would your lawyer want you to say that, (laughs) right? (laughs) What would counsel want you to say? You're not going to expand on things. Make sure that you're following the law. Don't get emotional. That would be, I think, where I would start as far as the right way to communicate. You want to answer that too before we go to the next part? Well, first, I guess I have a sub question. So my sub question is, in this scenario, who are you? Are you the HR person? Are you a manager or are you just a, uh, just a, I shouldn't say just a, or are you a coworker? So I was envisioning us as HR. I kind of assumed. What an interesting, yeah, well, based on my answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great, so what would you do? How, how would we tell our managers out there? What would we say to them? How should, or should they at all communicate with an ex-employee? I think it depends on the topic. If it's about getting the ex-employee their belongings, that's fine. If it's about getting them, you know, we just had a situation where somebody was asking, they had a company-owned phone, but they had personal photos on their phone and had reached out and said, hey, can I get those? Stuff like that, totally fine. Yes, of course you can, you know, best of luck. So I would say for those types of things, It's fine for the manager to communicate with them. If they're asking questions about, uh, you know, health insurance, rehire, uh, a letter of reference, uh, things like that, that should all go to HR. Uh, So they should just direct that person. I've they should respond with something along the lines of I forwarded your request to HR. You know, feel free to follow up with them or something like that. That's probably what I would do there. And then if it's a coworker. I would just say, you know, it's your right to communicate with this person however you want to. So if they're a friend, you can continue to talk with them. You know, if they were just a coworker and they're reaching out to you, you know, again, it's sort of your personal comfort level. If they're reaching out to you to get dirt on what's happening at the company or they're asking asking you to like, you know, investigate for them. Yeah, whatever. And you're not, then no, you shouldn't be doing that. And if you're uncomfortable with it, I would report it to HR. But um, if you're, you know, friends with this person, uh, you can keep talking to them. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I like it. Okay, so uh, I will jump to a slightly different topic. So the question is, how do I deal with a colleague who micromanages me 
even though they are not my supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back, grab a sip. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we, we have all had those coworkers. <laughs> oh, yes, we have. <laughs> so going back to Trisha's point, first thing, be respectful when addressing the situation. Sometimes people do not understand how they are coming off to other people. So I would try not to assume that they are intentionally micromanaging you or that it is out of malice. It could be that they are, they think that they are being helpful. They just may not understand that for you, that is not a helpful way to be helpful. Um, So I think the best thing we've had a couple episodes on difficult conversations is to sit down with this employee and say, you know, I really appreciate that you want to help me out in my job, but I do feel sometimes that you are micromanaging me or that you are, you know, paying a little bit too close of attention or that you don't feel that I can do my job. And that is hurtful. And so I want to establish some boundaries because I want us to still be able to work together. And I'm starting to get pretty frustrated. And then be prepared to put into sort of concrete terms what is helpful to you and what isn't. So If you can give them examples, like, so let's say the other day, you know, we were talking about this project and you said, oh, you know what, you should, and listed off three or four things. Like I, that's an example of when I feel that I'm being micromanaged. I already knew that I could do those four things, you know, like I'm just talking it out. I don't need you to fix it for me. Um, So, but like being able to share a couple of examples, again, in a respectful, nice way, just to illustrate when they're doing the behavior that's bothering you can be really helpful. It's something that you and I always do. We always end on the positive though. So don't forget everyone to give them a couple of examples after that of the things that they do do well so that they continue to listen to you. Well, and also thank, thank them for letting you have that conversation because it's not, it's not easy. You know, nobody likes to get criticism, you know, whether it's constructive or not, nobody likes to get it. So uh, just be kind and thank them for that. And then if they do not change their behavior after you have tried to set boundaries, then you probably want to go to your manager or HR and get a little bit of help because sometimes they just need somebody else to tell them like, Hey, this is, person A's job, this is person B job, you know, you don't need to worry about what person A is doing and how they're doing their job. You know, it goes back to, it goes back to the nunya. It's yeah. nunya business. <laughs> nunya business. <laughs> nunya or business. kindergarten, do you remember when the <laughs> kindergarten teacher would say, don't you worry about what Julie's doing, Trisha. You worry about what Trisha's doing. Do you remember that? <laughs> that I was yeah. like, don't worry about what so-and-so is doing. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, one of the things that Julie and I talked about and she taught me very early was to have the examples, be prepared with the examples when you're going in to speak with someone because it really is helpful for someone because 
like she said, they may not realize that that's how they are coming across. So if you're using those when you I feel statements, it does help people to uh, kind of take that a little better on the chin. They don't start to get as defensive. When you do this and you're, you act like this and, and you start using language like that, people are going to shut right down. But if you say, I appreciate it. However, when you do this, this is how I feel they are going to respond, I think, much, much better. Well, yeah, and you bring up a great point, which I know we've made before, but um, do not attack their character. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're, you're there to discuss their behavior. Uh, so when you, as Trisha said, when you make those, well, you, when you do this, it sounds like you're attacking them as a person versus when you act in this way or giving those examples just to say, this is when I feel micromanaged and just giving them some examples. We have to work with each other. We're gonna have bumps and bruises along the way. But if you can learn to talk to your coworkers about this stuff and just resolve it and move on, it's gonna make the workplace a much better place to be. Oh my gosh, 100% agree. A lot of the things that we talk about, you can use in your everyday daily life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my class today, I was teaching, I was talking to them about how my parents used to sit us down at the table and we had to talk everything out. It wasn't like you go to your room, you go to your room, and then they were going to come up with consequences. We had to do it. We had to sit there <laughs> and look at each other until we figured it out. And what a, you know, like, oh, when I was young, it was so annoying. But now what a blessing, right? Because now I don't have a problem. It is still uncomfortable for me. Sure. But I know that it's important to do it. And so I will talk to people and, and try to be um, as open as I can and also be careful of the, the word choices I use so I don't accidentally put them on the defensive. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Trish, your deal. Ooh, <laughs> let's see. How do I address what feels like an uneven or heavy workload to my manager? What if I feel unsafe speaking to my manager directly? Do I go to HR? I think this is a fantastic question. My personal advice is to always start with the manager if you are comfortable. If you think about when you were young, if someone ever went, behind, I'm going to say, behind your back and talked to someone else about something that you had said or something that you did, you know how you were like, why didn't they just talk to me? Like It, it made you angry. Mm -hmm. So if you can, then yes, 100%, always go to the person. And as Julie just said, have those examples laid out, show them what is happening, tell them the why behind it, just to say, oh, my workload is so much and, and you don't understand. And just like people are just going to hear womp, 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 right? So explain to them, really take the time to um, delineate what you're thinking and, and why you do not feel that this is a, uh, a workload that you can either handle or that you feel is unfair. If you do really, truly feel uncomfortable, HR will help you out, right? I, I think one of the benefits of having um, a great HR department is being able to work with them. Now, hear me on this. HR is not there to solve your problem. <laughs> All my HR people out there are going, woohoo, 
She said it, (laughs) right? We're not there to be a therapist. We're not there to tell you what to do. We are there to help guide and direct you. We are there to help coach you, to help you come up with the better way to do it. And ultimately, if you really are too afraid, then we can be there to act as more of the middle man, the the kind of the mediator, so to speak, um, while you all have the conversation and we're just there to make sure that it comes to a productive outcome. I know Julie uh, and I talk about When you're going to meetings like that, again, have it in writing. What do you hope to have as an outcome of this meeting? What is it that you would like to see as an outcome? And then finally, can I talk about the elephant in the room? Why the heck don't you trust your manager? What is happening? Maybe that's really the bigger question that you should address with HR. Because if this isn't a time where you feel safe, if you are worried about retaliation or if you are worried about um, anything, I I feel like there's a little toxicity there. And and maybe this is something HR is going to ultimately need to address or look into. Yeah. And I would I would say a couple things as well for the employees out there who may not have joined us for other episodes. One of the things we talk about in one of our manager episodes is that, you know, most managers are promoted because they're good at their job, not necessarily because they're good at managing people. So this is a skill they're often still learning. So they'll be the first ones to tell you they're (laughs) probably not doing everything they should be doing (laughs) or not doing it as well as they could be doing it because it's hard. This is the really hard stuff. So, Again, I wouldn't assume that your manager won't be open to having a conversation. And as Trisha said, I'm going to push back a little bit on the uncomfortable because, yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't have the conversation with the manager. Now, if you do fear retaliation. That's what or, I meant yes, yes. Oh, no, yeah, I know. I know. Sure. I know that's what you meant. <laughs> I like but, that you clarified, though. That's yeah, huge for everyone yeah. out there. Yeah. But yes, if you feel like you're going to be retaliated against or you feel that you have been subjected to, you know, any of the things we talk about, harassment, discrimination, anything like that, then, yeah, you should be going to HR. But if it's about a workload issue, that really is something that should be solved by your manager. And it is something you're going to have to continue to deal with with your manager. So if you can figure out a way to work it out with them, that's the best option. Now, as Trisha said, you can always go to HR and say, I could really use your help having a conversation with my manager because I don't know how to have that conversation. And they will be happy to help you do that. But it shows that you're taking the initiative, which I think is important. The last last thing I will say is in an issue like this, when when you're dealing with workload, I would, before I went to have that meeting, as Trisha was just saying, make sure you're prepared but I would have some data. So how do you know your workload is heavier than everybody else's? Um, What are some examples or how is it keeping you from doing the other tasks that you were hired to do? But again, have some examples, have some data. Uh, You've worked, you know, 20 hours of overtime for the last, uh, each week for the last Three weeks, you know, that's a lot, but that's whatever. A, that's a good um, data right there. <laughs> you know, but like things like that could be really helpful to demonstrate that it's not just a feeling that you're being worked harder than other people. You can actually show 
that you are to the extent that you have that data. Again, you may not have all of it, but to the extent that you can provide data, it's always helpful because it makes your case more compelling. I, I think that that is the one thing that people forget to do is to have kind of that backup so it doesn't look like you're just complaining, 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 right? If you can say, I, I realize this sounds like a complaint, but let me show you why and what I'm referring to. I think it, it does. It makes your case a lot stronger and people go, oh, okay, you've got my attention. And then, oh, can I, one more thing, have a solution. Yes. Have a yes. solution. I think I've said it a couple of times on other podcasts, like don't come at me with problems, have a solution. What solution? What is the outcome again that you would want to see? Yeah. And some of that could be maybe you found a, a something that could be really should be handled by a different department. Maybe it's something that could be outsourced. Maybe it's uh, something that maybe there's a way to automate or use technology to make something easier to take off some of the workload. So those are all things that you could go to your manager with in a situation like that. I love that. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. We're going to go to the Google questions. Ooh, all right. Because I do think these are ones people wonder about. So uh, now Trisha doesn't have this list, so I'm just going to throw some at her. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can my employer see my browsing history on my computer? Uh, does your employer own the computer? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time when we first start, we're going to be signing um, some sort of uh, a thing that says, hey, I acknowledge that I'm going to be on your computers, your phones, your whatever, and, and you own it, company X. And so therefore, I have no reasonable expectation of privacy. They own it. They can look at it. Yep. Same with your company phone. Oh, yeah. And uh, any other devices you may have, a tablet, a laptop, yeah, whatever. Oh, and, you know, one of the things that they include in uh, the materials and the classes that Julie and I both teach, I think is worth repeating here, too, and that is they may have access to your personal email account if you are accessing that on your device. So uh, they should have told you that in their policy. But for those out there that are like, wait, wait, what? Um, because think about it. IT sometimes will get uh, alerted to specific things that are that are on our desktops or on our computers, on our tablets or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden they go, oh, this is something that we need to look at. Well, if it is on your personal email that you're accessing through their system on their devices, they could have access. So just a fair warning there as well. Not that they're going to go searching through your stuff. That is not what we're saying. We just want you to be aware. Yeah, that it, it could happen if they had reason. If they had reason, yes. Could if they had reason if. for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, most of the time, employers have enough to worry about. They they don't have the time to go digging in your personal email to find out Hard what you're buying. Truth. Find out what you're buying on Amazon. <laughs> Um, Ooh, again, they can probably figure that out from your browsing history. But. <laughs> <laughs> Good 
one. <laughs> Way to tie it back in. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know this is a pretty common one. So can my employer hold my last check? And the answer, as all legal answers are, is it depends. But <laughs> usually not. It does depend on state law. Most states have some sort of prompt payment law that they can't hold that check indefinitely until like you return equipment or things like that. So typically, no, they can't hold it. They can, however, if you agreed to it when you were hired, uh, they can potentially deduct the amounts of whatever it is you didn't return (laughs) from your paycheck. (laughs) Uh, There are some limitations on that, but again, if you gave them permission, then they may be able to do that. So those are just a couple of things. It's a good idea to make sure that you understand what the policy is, or if you did sign something on, you know, your first day that you are allowing the employer to make deductions uh, for certain things from your paycheck. Um, Otherwise, You know, if you are planning on leaving, resigning, whatever the case may be, make sure you get all that stuff in (laughs) as quickly as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Okay, Trish, you ready for another one? I don't know. Let's let's go. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Can I be fired for looking for another job? Typically, I would say no, but are you using company resources to do that? (laughs) If you are using company resources, the big blinking sign says Y-E-S. You are not going to be able to look for a new job on company time using company computers. That is an absolute no, no, no. Now, there is this whole idea of at will, you can be fired at any time for any reason, or we can quit at any time for any reason. Some people will maybe argue that with you, but I don't think I would buy it. If I was doing it on my own and someone found out that I was on LinkedIn and that someone had contacted me, why, why, why could they fire me? How could they fire me? What do you think, Jules? Well, it's not unlawful to fire someone because they were caught looking for another job. I do, however, think that in most cases, that's not going to be the case. Uh, I do think, as Trisha was saying, if you're doing it on company time, <laughs> uh, so if you're spending the bulk of your day surfing for other positions on your company computer, then yeah, you might get fired for that because you're no longer doing your job. But performance um, <laughs> issues. <laughs> but really, what I would say is if you are considering leaving for another position, now you you do want to be mindful of the timing. But number one, if it is because going back to one of our first questions, if it is because there is something at your current job that is making you unhappy frustrated, whatever the case may be, that you think could be changed, I would consider not necessarily telling them that you're looking for something else, but having a conversation about whatever that thing is in case it can be fixed. Oh, I like that. The second thing I would say is maybe you have decided to change careers. Maybe you have decided that this isn't the place for you, or maybe you have You're not leaving on bad terms or with any ill will or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a life change that is taking you away. 
in those situations, if you've been a good employee and you have done your job, most employers will work with you. And that can take some of the stress off of that sort of big change. You know, I have an employer right now who knows somebody is leaving. Uh, This person is moving out of state and uh, they're going to be looking, you know, for a job someplace else. And, And I think they gave them about three months notice and the employer appreciated that, you know, and, and they've been working with them. Uh, hopefully they'll be training somebody, you know, if they can get somebody new in. Uh, now, I will tell you, if you tell them that, but then you proceed to slack off. And again, you're caught surfing Wayfair for all the furniture for your new house all day long. <laughs> then, no, you're probably not going to get to stay there for three months. But, yeah. you know. Otherwise, most employers will work with you because they can use the transition time as well. I really, really appreciate when someone comes to me and says, I need to let you know that we're moving or this is happening or that is happening. And it gives me an opportunity then to pull from our talent pool or if we don't have anyone in our talent pool to then um hire from outside the organization. So I, for one, have always been very appreciative of it. And um, I like I like what you said about that. I think that most employers would feel the same way. Yeah. And you also never know, like, again, if it's sort of like a life change thing, they may be able to work to find a solution to keep you. Ooh, you mean like remote work? Remote work or I, again, had another situation where somebody was moving to a different state. And it just so happened that this company was looking to expand into that state, you know, and it's amazing if the person, if the employee had never come forward and had that conversation to say like, Hey, just FYI, here's what's happening. The employee would never have known that the company was looking to expand there. And they were able to keep this person who had, you know, really made some contributions over the years. So that is so cool. So HR professionals, Listen up here. You need to have conversations with your employees when they come talk to you. Um, Most of us are not going to take offense that someone's leaving, but think about what they could be telling you and how it could actually be of benefit for everyone involved in the situation. And again, I think it's one of the underlying themes today is don't assume that your employer is just going to ask you for your resignation immediately. You know, I I think that there's a lot of that, like, why would they keep me? Well, there's a lot of reasons it could be beneficial to keep you during a transition period, because again, it's not like they can fill, if you quit, they've got to fill your position the next day or, you know, as soon as possible. Whereas if you give them time, then they've got some time to figure it out institutional knowledge that you have for being there is incredibly important. (laughs) Yes. And then you haven't burned any bridges because you, again, maintain the bridge that was already built. Oh, wow. We are tying into everything. Yep. Finger snaps. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Trisha said we aren't going to go there with at-will employment, but we are because the next question is, can I be... (laughs) Can I be fired for no reason? And the answer is, in most states, yes. Yes. The qualifier is you can be fired for any reason as long as it is not an unlawful reason. Ding, 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 ding. That is what at-will employment means. It means that you can be fired at any time for any lawful reason. Same with you can quit at any time 
for pretty much any reason. But the things there to remember, like you can't, if you complained of harassment and then you were fired because you complained of harassment, that is an example of an unlawful reason to fire somebody. But if they found you surfing, you know, six hours a day for a new job on Indeed.com, then yeah, they can fire you for that. Or if your behavior is not what it should be, they can fire you for that. If if they don't feel that you are representing them well or that your values don't align with their core values, they can fire you. Yes, they can fire you for the crap you post on social media. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see what happens there. Yeah. Again, <laughs> as long as it's not protected activity. Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of reasons that you can get fired and they don't really have to tell you a reason. Well, that's always a question people have, too. Do they have to tell me why? Under the law? No, they don't have to tell you why. We typically advise that they should. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, there should be clear communication about that. And if you are trying to be of service, then you want the person to know what happens so they can avoid that with their next employer. Yes, yes. I mean, and and having that stuff documented helps you as speaking to our employers now, having that stuff documented helps you uh, in case someone ever does say, okay, you say, we use the at-will doctrine, you're gone. And then someone comes back and says, well, I was fired because of this protected characteristic or for this protected reason, if you have nothing in writing, guess what? You're kind of um, up a creek. Can I, can I, yeah, you're up a creek. <laughs> I was using the example today in my class. I'm like, so I get fired because I'm wearing right now, you all can't see me, but I'm wearing a gray long sleeve shirt. And they say, we are offended by that. That is against our values wearing a gray long sleeve shirt. But then I can say that, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so wore gray long sleeve shirts, but they're all under 40. So was the reason I was fired because I wore the gray shirt that was against your values or was it because I was over 40? This is why we need the documentation that Julie is talking about. You, Yeah, you don't have to, but why wouldn't you? It helps make your case stronger later. And it's also respectful. It's oh, respectful, respectful to tell. I know, going back to that. Tying <laughs> oh, it go. in again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's respectful to tell somebody if they are not performing in the way that they should be, yeah. in whatever way that is. But I would think that most employees would agree they would like to be told if they're doing something wrong so that they can try to fix it. <laughs> oh, and before you fire them, right? Right. Let's right, try yeah. to actually fix it beforehand instead of just dropping a bomb and saying, you're gone. Yeah. So this isn't um, a question on there, but on that point, I would say to the employees out there listening, if you are unsure where you stand, ask, take the initiative, ask for feedback, ask how you're doing, ask, especially if you want to advance, ask what you need to do to get to the next level. Ask them to set benchmarks with you, you know, like show that you want to get there. And then um, those conversations will happen because, you know, again, it's not usually malicious that managers aren't doing that kind of thing. It's usually because they're overwhelmed and they have so much work that they just don't have the time. But they usually love those kinds of conversations. So I wouldn't be afraid to approach your manager to say, you know what? Next year, my goal is to do X, Y, and Z. How do we make that happen? And I bet you that they will find ways. I love that. 
Okay, Trish, here's another one for you. Can an interviewer ask your current salary? Ooh, so there are a couple of things that I want to unpack out of that question. The first one, um, I'm going to go to our East Coast, West Coast and pay transparency. Um, I love pay transparency. And I know I'm giving like a totally political answer. I'm not answering the question you asked, but I can't help it. Um, I want to get this plug in there. For those of you who are employers out there, pay transparency. You may think it's annoying, but it is actually amazing. It is so good for your business. It increases employee satisfaction. So let me start there. The second thing I will say about that is it depends on your state and maybe even your city and maybe even your county because there are various laws out there now that will not ask you about or that say that you as an employer are not allowed to ask about salary history. I'm a huge fan of this because I do not want you basing what I'm going to make today based on what I'm going to make yesterday. Because it's not about that. It's about what you think this job is worth at your company. So in many situations, there are, there are two ways to look at this. Number one, you are not allowed to ask about salary history at all. And for those of you who want to look this up, they're just called salary history bans. So number one, you're not allowed to ask about salary history at all. The second kind of law says this. If someone refuses to provide it, You can't take that into consideration or use that as a reason not to hire someone. Or if someone does provide it, you can't use that as a factor in deciding what you are going to pay them. So everybody look at your state. That would be my my overall thing there. Every state is different. um, And hoorah to those states that do it. I love salary history bans. (laughs) I agree. I would say that if you are in an interview and they ask you that question, I think it would be perfectly fair to respectfully respond, why do you want to know that? I would love to hear, could I be a fly on the wall for that? (laughs) Or if you're not comfortable doing that, I think then, uh, you know, you can answer it if you want or not answer it if you want. But I would then, when they ask you, hey, do you have any questions? I would say, Yeah. What's the salary range for this position? (laughs) (laughs) Is there a reason you want to know that would, instead of using that word, why? Yeah. (laughs) Is there a reason you're interested in what I made before? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. So, you know, you could turn, turn it on them a little bit. I am hopeful, and I know that Trisha and I recommend to most people that the question now, instead of what did you make at your last job is, you know, what are you looking to make in this position? Uh, and and I would not be afraid to answer that because it can be very helpful. It doesn't mean if you go too high, they're going to immediately cut you out. It may If you're the best candidate, they're probably going to try to figure out how to work with you. The thing you have to be worried about is cutting yourself too low. So some tactics for that would just be to say, you know what, I I wasn't really prepared to answer that question. I'd have to think about it. Um, Can I get back to you? (laughs) I like going to what you said, taking that and then taking it one step further and being like, well, what is the salary range for this position? Because once I have an understanding of that, I could probably give you a a better answer, even if it is off the cuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there are some some sneaky ways to respond to such a question. 
But yes, in general, as Trisha said, the salary should be based on the job you're being hired to do, not what you were paid at your last job. We have just a couple more. So the next one is, will my employer be notified of my DUI? Uh, <laughs> so um, typically, no. There, There is not a system in place where the justice system of whatever county or state or you know, locality you are in notifies your employer that you have been arrested for a particular offense. If you are convicted, they probably still are not going to be informed of that, not affirmatively anyway. Now, the one thing you want to be careful of is if, again, when you went through orientation, if you had a policy that said you had to notify your employer Typically, that will be the case uh, with DUIs if you have any sort of driving responsibilities for your company. So if you operate a piece of equipment that requires you to drive it, if you drive for your job, maybe on sales calls or to different locations or whatever the case may be, you may have a duty to report when you get, um, typically it's the conviction, not the arrest, but you may you may have a duty to report even that you got arrested for or charged with. Uh, so I would be mindful of that because if you don't report it and they find out later, then that would be a reason that they could terminate you. Um, so those are those are my thoughts. Trish, you got any others? The only other one I would add is I know that there are some jobs out there where they do get reported. I think there's, um, and not in every state, but in some states, um, I remember working with a couple of teachers that were saying that if someone did get a DUI for them, that would be reported. And again, I don't know if that was based on their state or their collective bargaining agreement through the union. So I would just kind of make people aware of, of that as well, that there may be other things out there other than um, what you just mentioned. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. So public agencies may be different. So school systems, police forces, fire, all of that, medical, all of those types of situations, it may be reported or like federal contracts, things like that. There, There may be actual Um, automatic reporting of those types of things. But in general, for private employers, they are not going to be notified that you have either been arrested or charged with or convicted of. Public sector, you you and your special rules. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to explain that today, again, to my class that like the public sector, when we're talking about at will, eh, Actually, at will may not apply if you are a public sector employee. So for those of you who are at will or who are public sector out there and you're like, nah, that's not the case for me. Yes, that is true. We recognize that just to kind of throw that out there. (laughs) Yes. And those of you with collective bargaining agreements. Yes. Oh, Montana. (laughs) Yeah, Montana. I was going to say there are there are a couple of states, Montana being one of them, that does not have at will employment. So. Uh, Another moral of this episode, check your state law. (laughs) It's important. Uh, Speaking of of state laws, I hear Michigan, Uh Miss Tricia, is uh, getting poised to enact a paid parental leave. What? How did I miss that? I don't know, but I just saw it on threads. I'm on threads now because Twitter has gone down the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Truth. 
Oh, that makes me so happy. I knew that they were talking about it and considering it, but I did not realize that they had actually gone that far. So that makes me totally, totally happy. Way to go, Michigan. We're doing a lot of good things here. Yeah, not so much here in Ohio, but that's okay. (laughs) We're not going to go down that road. Okay, (laughs) very last one, and then we will get back to our wine. So uh, can my employer deny my vacation request? Well, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, sorry, I know y'all don't want to hear that, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> do we want to? How specific do we want to get here? <laughs> yeah, I would just say they can because it's all dependent on the business needs of the operation. So they can. I don't think they typically do, or that they're on a mission to deny your vacation requests, but. That's why, again, it's important to know what your policies state, because typically you have to give a certain amount of notice. And the earlier you get that notice and the better. But there may, you know, you never know what's happening. They could have gotten three other requests for that same exact time and they can't have everybody off during that time, you know. So there may need to be some flexibility. But the short answer is yes, they can deny your vacation requests because... They are the employer (laughs) and they they control that (laughs) in accordance with their policy. I think that was my favorite thing that you said. Right. I I think that people need to understand that usually in the policies, it will state their reasons why. And a very great example that Julie just gave is, well, if I already have three people who have requested that off and we have particular staffing needs or specific operational needs, I, I, I can't have everybody off. And I'm sorry, I don't want to be a jerk. It's not intentional towards you. It just, it is what it is. Yep. One last note on, uh, because this is a related question, but uh, vacation pay. A lot of people ask if their vacation pay has to be paid out if they leave. And again, the answer is, it depends what the employer's policy says. And your state law. And state law, (laughs) yes. Yay! Yeah. Look at me. So some state laws say that, yes, you have to if it was accrued vacation time, then they have to pay it out because it's considered wages. However, sometimes that can be overrided if the policy says that if you don't, for example, work out your two weeks or if you are fired, then you forfeit that uh, accrued vacation. So, again, very important to actually read that handbook they give you. That you all sign an acknowledgement for that nobody ever reads. Nobody it's, ever it's reads. actually really important to read that handbook. <laughs> so you want to know what, what it says so that you know what you have to do to make sure you get that money. For those of you who, not the employee, but the employer, please, please pay attention to state law as you're writing your policies because your policies are not going to override the state law understand um, what your obligations are and what you need to do. Um, For those of you who are like, well, how do I find this? Uh, I don't, Julie, what do you even call it? I just always say it's your state version of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Is there even another way to say it? Well, so if you're looking up vacation law, I would just put your state and say Ohio vacation law. It'll pop up. Because they're all they're all called something different. So like Ohio's called the Ohio Revised Code. Other ones are, you know, every state has a slightly different name for their state laws. So if you just put 
what are the vacation laws in X state or what is the, is my state at will? You know, uh, Google is amazing in that respect. They'll usually figure it out. (laughs) So (laughs) the more specific you can be, that's what I noticed about Google. The more specific you can be, the more you can dial it in, the better your answer is going to be. All right. So with that, we are going to uh, start to wrap up this episode. So Trisha has the non-alcoholic or I'm sorry, de-alcoholized wine gotten any better? I don't know. I have only had two sips yeah. because the first no, one's no. just... <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to say yes, um, but it it is not. Well, if it's de-alcoholized, to me that says it's like decaffeinated coffee, which they take the caffeine out. So they take the alcohol out somehow. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that seems like a process that may not be great. <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's that process of it. Because I know I've had like sparkling wines and stuff like that that weren't intended to have alcohol in them that I absolutely enjoyed. Um, So yeah, for me, this was, um, and again, for some other people who who are not wine drinkers, you may find this to be lovely. Um, unfortunately for me, it was just not the best choice. Well, I am enjoying my wine quite a bit. I can still taste the spicy notes. It's still very full bodied, but it's still very smooth. It's uh, it just kind of, it's one of those that just sort of like warms your throat and you know, as it goes down and it's uh, it's very nice for a fall day. Okay, with that, it's time to end this episode. So any parting words, Trisha? Well, the same as always, be respectful. Uh, whether you are on the HR side or the employers or the employee side or the manager side, be respectful. Think about what it is that you want to say. Think about um, how your question could come across to others and then um, be prepared to show them exactly what you mean versus just doing the complaint, complaint, complaint. Ditto to all of those. I would also say, Uh, Again, just because I've had a few recent examples of this, don't assume that the other person is doing something maliciously or intentionally. We are all still recovering from COVID and from everything going on in our society. And I think that we have a tendency to, I've said this before, but to forget to give people grace and we assume the worst right from the get-go. And most of the time, the other person has so much going on that they are not even thinking about the way that they are coming off to you in particular. And while that may seem callous or that may annoy you, it is what it is. You're probably not thinking about the way that you're coming off to them. And, you know, so if we can just start to see each other as humans again, and then we can have these kinds of conversations. And the reason I bring that up is because I just had another situation where, you know, it's two employees who aren't getting along and I was called in to see if I could help. And when I talked to each of them individually, there just was, I hope this doesn't come off as melodramatic because it's not meant to be, but there was pain there on both sides. Oh, There was pain. There was hurt feelings. There was frustration. But there was pain. Like it it wasn't that either one of them was out to get the other one. It was that they were both feeling very hurt 
by the other one's actions. But I don't think either one of their them intended their actions to be hurtful, you know, oh, but right. it was just, again, the way that they're seeing them and the way that they're perceiving them. And it was, I think on both sides, it's kind of this, they're coming at me instead right. of what's really underneath all of this. So I, again, I think if we can just treat each other with a little bit more grace, be a little bit more human, uh, we can get through a lot of this stuff that that tends to create a lot of conflict by just having a conversation about it. I want to throw something in because of what you just said. Uh, if you all remember, Julie and I talked about the different biases, confirmation bias. Take a second and think to yourself, am I using what they just said or what they just did to confirm something I already believe? Mm-hmm. And I know that that's hard, but if we can all stop and do that, turns out that sometimes, oh shoot, yeah, you know what? I am. Um, and then maybe that will help give a little more grace and be a little more human. Great point. Great point. So we're going to end on that because it's a great point to end on. Uh, so be kind to one another. I hope we answered some of your burning questions. If you have other ones, of course, you can always reach out to us. Our contact info is in the show notes. And uh, if you love this, pass it on to other people. We want more followers. We want more people to listen. Send us your wine recommendations and uh, join us for the next episode. So thanks for having us tonight and cheers. Cheers. Cheers.